0: This is Radio 89.7 FM, your Arts Monday Symposis, streaming to you from the Gadigal land of the Eora Nation. My name is Ira, and I am currently on call to choreographer Sarah Black, who is here with us to talk about Value for Money, a dance work by God's Dance Company from Central Australia, which will soon be showing at Riverside Theatre Parramatta, presented by Form Dance Projects. This work is Sarah Blake's collaboration with a First Nations choreographer, Jasmine Shepard, and it looks at the rift between the economic and the human value of life, bringing to attention the many ways these values are shaped by different cultures and contexts. Sarah, good morning. Do we have you on the line? You do. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Pleasure, how is your morning, and where are we finding you this morning? What surrounds you as we speak to you?
1: Oh yes, lovely. I'm calling from Wall Country, so from Canberra. I'm in my home in the suburbs, and I'm in my sunny lounge room with my two cats. Um, and you so you might hear a few cockatoos or cats or chickens in the background as well today. <laughs> we'll see how we go.
0: And is morning your usual time of the day? Are you a morning person or a night owl? Ooh, I'm a middle of the day person. Okay,
1: <laughs> I have two small kids, so yeah, we get up early, but it's often I'm not ready to, um, and I go to bed early too. So sleep is a happy place <laughs> when I get it. And but in, this is a this is a lovely
0: time of day. And in terms of creativity, where do uh, when do ideas tend to come to you? In early hours, midday, or in late in the evening during sleep, uh, waking up yeah, hours,
1: late in the evening, in that moment when you're trying to trying to shut down and thoughts come absolutely and you, know, you sort of need to write things out or the shower maybe mm-hmm. as well um, but yeah often little seeds come and then I forget about them but yeah that moment when everything's still and it's late at night and everything's sort of quiet the brain has space to think mm-hmm. that's when the thoughts definitely come
0: yeah and what happens then in terms of your methodology do you get up and put them on the paper or in your phone or how do you record those ideas so you can come back to them
1: i hold a lot in my brain Mm -hmm. (laughs) i've even spoken to my partner about this of what i do with a calendar and often i don't write things down and they just get held in my brain and sometimes i get surprised with what stays there but yeah occasionally i will i'll take notes in my phone or I have many a different chaos of notebooks that has no logic to it and never have a, a book for each project. It's just absolute chaos. But, yeah, things do get noted. and But, you know, the important ones are the ones that I come back, I think, or that you remember and you keep going, no, no, no. I, I really I'm interested in that so it keeps coming back to me and I know that there's value in it and want to keep exploring value here we are there we yeah. go
0: uh, <laughs> and one of those valuable ideas uh, was about this work that we'll be talking about today which is called Value for Money uh, it is something that came to you a few years ago now and as I mentioned the work explores the philosophical themes and questions about how we put the value in human life and how this can be and is shaped by different contexts and cultures so can you elaborate a bit on uh, the philosophical framework of this work and how did the idea come to you initially? What inspired you to delve into this?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting that I was talking about ideas coming back and coming back. And this is one of those projects that's done exactly that. It's had many different stages, almost four different stages over about 13 years or so. And it's just kept coming back. So it's like this story that is sort of really wanting to be told in these different iterations. So That's been really different for me to have it sort of keep circling around and and coming, um, being presented in different ways, which I'll talk about. But, yeah, so over um, and over, the overarching theme of the work is about value and how we value one another, essentially, Um, how proximity and relationship changes the way we value each other, how our learnt experience, the way that we're raised and taught by other people changes our value for each other and also this this concept of the, the, our economic value, which is something that we often don't think about, um, has, has come into the thread of the work as well. And so the seed of the idea um, actually came when I was uh, on tour um, in the Middle East and it was right in the middle of the Arab Spring and we were actually about to head to Damascus in Syria and the uprisings there had just started and there's this moment of do we go don't we go and we ended up having to cancel that leg of the tour but we still went to beirut and palestine and um jordan and right after the tour i was then going to israel to visit some family there i had a cousin there and i was heading to israel from palestine and it was an amazing the whole trip was an absolutely amazing journey and the responses that we had to the performances were really powerful, but it was this uh, really sort of heavy, fascinating moment of traveling from Palestine into Israel. And we'd made some really lovely friendships there and really great connections with the people who were hosting us and to understand that they were not able to travel as, travel as freely as we were and see the freedoms that we had and then to arrive in Israel and feel so welcomed me personally but know that that value was not uh, passed on to the people who, who we had just been, spent so much time with. And it just became so apparent, this this concept of value and how this sort of – what I s- felt like was such a thin thread. So I have a uh, Jewish background on my mother's side but we're non-practicing for two generations. So I, I felt like it was such a thin connection but – For them, it was so strong, and this idea of what we decide is a strong bond and what is a thin connection, a thin thread, became really interesting to me. And I sort of couldn't let go of that experience, so I came home and did a lot more research about the history of the region and all of the many wars over the many decades and uh, started looking more and more into the values that we place. So I started working on a solo and I looked at uh, the body as a landscape, how we value it as sort of flesh and bone um, and organic matter, how we value it as um, each other as characters and how we value um, our intelligence and, um, and that all was just this, this solo that I started playing with and and didn't end up going anywhere because I just didn't really have time at the time. I was uh, uh, working more as a professional dancer. So I shared my ideas with my peers and then I'm going to make something with this. And then time passed. <laughs> and uh, probably about four years later, I was living in London and the opportunity came up to explore some ideas for a project um, presentation called Resolution, which is at the place there. And so I was like, oh, those ideas are still really strong in my body and I'd like to come back to them. And, of course, the concept of value, it's always present and important and whatever's happening at the time starts to feed into the work. And so I had a development in London with two uh, London-based dancers and two Australian dancers and we shared – so we created that into a quartet and shared those ideas in the UK and then again, a little bit of time passed. <laughs> I stayed in the UK and was ready to move home. But those two dancers, wonderful dancers that I'd worked with from Australia were um, Frankie Snowden and Madeline Krennick, who came back and started uh, the company Guts Dance in Alice Springs. And they came back to me and said, you know, those ideas that we were playing with, I think they're really important and we need to kind of come back to that Um and proposed the idea of commissioning me to create the work on Guts and come to Alice Springs and, and work with them there. Mm. And we decided, you know, to sort of try and bring the focus back in terms of our values here in Australia and what, and, you know, their experiences living in Alice Springs. Um, and so we had a, a wonderful uh, development then in 2019, and with always with plans to come back to it in the future. And I'd in that process realised that the show was a lot bigger than me and I felt like my lived experience wasn't, uh, I needed, it was bigger than me. I needed help to tell this story. And um, I've known Jasmine Shepherd for a very long time, who is a Tagalaka Aboriginal woman based uh, on the Central Coast at the moment, who also has high, uh, Irish, Chinese and Hungarian ancestry. So we sort of have the Jewish connection there as well, but on her father's side. Um and I just thought, I, I need to make this work with you. <laughs> How do you feel about that? Would you like to come on board? Um, and, yeah, Jazz was really excited about the concept and and had a lot to add to the process, so much to add to the process. So for the final development into the presentation, Jasmine came on board um, and we premiered the work in Alice Springs. So it's sort of a
0: 13-year journey
1: <laughs> to present it there.
0: Is this common this uh, length of process when you're developing works? What is the usual length of time that passes yeah. between idea and the work coming to this kind of final I suppose iteration?
1: Yeah, not from I mean it can often be long but normally that process is because of, you know, there's it, a really it can take a long time to get the money together to put put a show on. So normally it's the grant applications that are sort of stretching things out. Okay. But this is this is very unusual for me to have have an idea the interest in an idea to last for so long doesn't usually happen and also for it to come to sort of evolve over time uh from a solo to then a quartet to a group of five and many different cast changes along the way and a lot of different um different layers of input from people um this is quite yeah it's quite a unique one for me mm-hmm. and i've uh it's been really beautiful to see it change and and, and as I was saying, you know, when time passes, things happen. So of course we had the bushfires, we've had COVID, and every time we would come back to the work, there would be these new layers mm-hmm. of how what is what does value mean now?
0: And what, what did COVID ha- add to that narrative? what we
1: yeah a lot well we were actually we were making it we had a lockdown in the middle of the final development we had people stuck in different cities we only just got it on and then it went to darwin and it was only just put on then as well we almost had another uh, lockdown and just yeah really what we valued what those little things that we didn't realize that we would miss and that we would value and of course relationships was you know one of the biggest ones having that freedom to be able to travel, travel and see people and be in the same space and touch each other—all of that became so important, which we never would have even thought about mm. in the in the developments further. How important actual physical contact and touch was,
0: mm. and also it emphasised inequality as well, because the work speaks yes. about diversity and inequality and how we put different values on you know different people different cultures different races different genders yeah yep
1: Uh, yep. and even within you know one city how differently government was responding um to people living in one area of sydney to another area of sydney and it was all just so blatant um yeah yeah it was a very interesting time and so that sort of that, that fed a lot of conversations in during the development as well
0: mm. and the work is called value for money so i'm intrigued by this word money in the title and invocation of this idea of a human life being a commodity of a sort and you spoke about this concept of our uh, economic value that we don't often speak about can you speak mm. to that a bit the you know valuing human life in these economic terms
1: yeah well it came because we uh of course it's just inherently in the word value um you start to think about the dollar value for things so initially it was more about um uh, a relationship, emotional value, and then we began looking at how we uh, commodify each other as as working machines, um, and uh, send it, send send bodies off to do certain tasks, and the value of those those bodies removed from the person that they are, um, removed from their uh, stories and their relationships, and just being that commodity, and what we want to, yeah, sort of draw out from them in terms of making money, but also the physical value of that body to achieve something, whether it be in war or in prostitution or uh, in sort of slavery in any, of any kind, but then also just looking at how we value different. Uh, jobs in the workforce as well and where that money value goes um so that's where we sort of started digging and then we started to learn a little bit more about that we do also have this dollar value on our heads that isn't um that often we're not aware of and it is put on us by other institutions um and it's not a sort of secretive thing it's a known thing but we just don't talk about it and um there's actually there's a really great article that we were using uh, by Richard Dennis in The Monthly, and it was called The Price of Human Life. Um, and just that, yeah, that through the courts, insurance companies, um, public service, uh, there are different um, organisations that need to put a, a dollar value on all of us, in, for, us to, for our systems and our economic systems to work. Um, so there's a cost in our life and there's a cost of our death. And this is, yeah, something that we sort of fed in as well this idea that we have a value that is informed by what we do, where we live, and how we contribute, um, and what
0: we earn mm, as well. How yeah. much money we can produce as yeah, individuals. Yeah, exactly. And- You you just mentioned uh, an article that you were reading and uh, from what I was reading from some of the descriptions of the work, you did go through quite an extensive development process in terms of research, uh, reading many resources. Can you speak a bit about that? I also noticed in the credits that you had a research assistant, which is something that I haven't often seen in the credits for work. So what was their role on this? Yeah,
1: we had uh, Tessa Snowden, who's also based in Alice Springs, Come on board to help us with this—the this sort of research um, arm of it—because it was getting so big, <laughs> and we uh, were doing a lot of reading. But we kind of needed to, to collate it into uh, different areas and understand what what did we want to pull out, and how could we use it, and how could we use it in the work. Um, we also had two um, wonderful artists write for us, write their own. Uh, stories um, alongside that. And I'm sorry, I'm just um, seeing if we've still got it all up on the website because you can access it. Uh, But I think if you head onto the Guts website and and go to Value for Money, you might be able to still access all of our research. Mm -hmm. Um, But definitely as we go on to yeah, unpacking the process it is. Sorry, I should have had that in my notes. And we had Hannah Muir and um, Luli write us some wonderful reflective pieces in in response to our um, research as well. So we just wanted a few different layers for people to be able to access into the work uh, rather than just coming and seeing it and having um, rehearsal notes that they could step into our process and read all those readings as well, either before or after coming to see the work. So that's all still available there. Um, so, yeah, it was in some ways sometimes I think we went too big <laughs> because it was a little bit overwhelming with so many readings. And, of course, you can go as wide as you want with this idea of value. So we went big. And then with Tessa's help, we started to pull back. And we realised of whilst it was all so this underlay of information, at the end of the day, we can't speak on behalf of other communities and people, but we can speak from the people that are in our room. So we, we did a lot of reading in terms of sort of getting our brains ready to step into this space but a lot of what ended up in the work um was from our own experiences and our own stories um being laid in amongst some things that we'd sort of reached a bit further and beyond with with our readings yeah
0: mm-hmm. And what happens then? So it's it's quite maybe unusual for the listeners to hear that the dance work is developed through lots of reading and lots of text mm-hmm. and writing. Mm-hmm. So how does that then lead into the movement repertoire that you're working with in the studio? Yeah, so we use,
1: we used, as well as all the reading, we did have a lot of imagery as well, um, uh, images of 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 different sort of bodies as landscapes in space. We had a lot of, um, you know, there's some dark, some pretty dark stuff as well um, in terms of uh, mass graves and, and different kind of uh, sort of institutional systems where that had sort of a lot of different, you know, hundreds of bodies working together for one cause. Um, so we had a lot of uh, yeah photography and visual imagery as well as all the writing. Um So we'd sort of take those concepts and pull them in to to start the seed of an idea. So, for example, we had we were looking at pulling out the individual within the bigger system, so creating uh, a larger um, uniformed section, and then having the individuals break out from that and slowly over actually over the course of the work, it's like a peeling away of the layers to get to know the artist in the space from them going as this uniformed group, you start to see the individual within that and we start to hear their voices, hear their own stories, see their personalities come out through costume changes and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But we also, there's a a lot of symbolism in this piece, which is very different for me. I don't normally work in this way at all. But um, from beginning to end, it's very symbolism heavy, almost every single section. References multiple symbols um and something that we played with a lot was the double readings of an image or the double reading of a story and how um beauty and horror often sit side by side and we tried to pull that into almost every moment that without Context or without a layer of information, you could observe an image, and it could either, to you personally, be beautiful or horrible, or horror- horrific. Sorry, depending on what you're seeing in that moment, or as the layers of information unfold, mm-hmm. you, what you thought was beautiful, you might understand is not so. Um, so yeah, sort of being a, a little bit more symbolic and referential rather than uh, pulling specific text and situations into the work it's not a narrative at all Um, it ebbs and flows through a lot of different imagery
0: Mm. yeah you're on ESA Radio 89.7 FM. This is Arts Monday Simpoesis and we are in conversation with choreographer Sarah Black talking about contemporary dance work, Value for Money, which will soon soon be showing at Riverside Theatres Parramatta presented by Form Dance Projects. Sarah, you're just talking about this uh, symbolism that is present in the work and it's something that you haven't been working with as much in the past. So I'm wondering if that is something that the collaboration with jasmine shepherd has added to the work because i'm curious what is actually uh how does collaboration between two choreographers works in practice
1: yeah well it depends on the two people (laughs) um and i guess yeah the differences in your process and but with jasmine and i it was uh, astonishingly easy in a lot of ways um and we still joke about it now that we very rarely disagree on anything, which I guess could be a good or a bad thing, because sometimes it is good to have somebody to say, oh, no, I think we should do this and have a bit of push and pull, but quite often we would both go to say the same thing at the same time. Um, But what was, yes, as you're saying in terms of the symbolism, um, there would be so many different readings and layers on things that Jasmine would bring in that I hadn't thought of. Um, And one that actually comes to mind was uh, an, an idea that had stayed from the original... uh, seed idea of the solo that I had created um, which is sort of this body moving as uh, observing it as a landscape and uh, it's it's not closed, the body isn't closed and then these other um, people come in and they dress her and for Jasmine, her reading was, we talked about the body representing the land and for Jasmine, this reading was so much about colonisation and that these bodies are coming in and, and taking this landscape and manipulating it and moving it and dressing it and clothing it to be as they wish it to be. Mm-hmm. And it was just not a, a road that I would ever have gone down. but of course, that's the Jasmine's experience and what she is bringing to the work. And then that took it on a whole nother journey from where it was going um, into terms of the next sections after that. So yeah, just having people with different experience in the room just creates so much more potential. Um, for ideas to, yeah, to be put out from those different lived experiences.
0: Mm. I was wanting to talk to you about the choice to have sections that are nude, use nudity as, I guess, a dramaturgical Mm -hmm. device, and you're just speaking about one concept or one reading of it. Another one, I guess, um, when I was looking at the poster image, which is really uh, striking for this work where we see two naked bodies piled on a shopping trolley being pulled by a blonde Caucasian female uh, down the supermarket aisle and I read it well one of the many readings I guess that is possible is to see them as raw meat which is uh, absent of those stories individual stories that you're speaking about
1: yeah absolutely yeah so looking at uh, the body as flesh and organic matter but also um, the the way that we well consume each other I guess Mm -hmm. you know and and consume the planet consume each other and um that that value uh isn't recognized when it's so removed from the personal and it just becomes flesh and body um yeah it's it's we did have a, a shoot that was in the meat section actually now that you're saying that. And then we went, no, 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 that's too close. Let's move that away and we'll put that put it in this, in this moment. But we did. Yeah. The, the nudity, there's a, a, a few different references there. Um, and that is one of them and that really that connection to, to flesh, but also connection to earth and land and the reminder that we, the body is nature. That we're not just connected to it we're a part of nature we're a part of an ecosystem mm-hmm. and I really wanted we, we we really wanted to see the the body representing the land and the landscape to see the mountains the rivers the canyons of the, of the moving body in space um but also as, as I said we've got these double readings um the vulnerability of a naked person mm-hmm. and it um it, it also came from an uh, an image in a film, the film called Lebanon, where this woman is because of the conflict in, in the scene, her house is destroyed and she is left and she's left with just I think she's, she's maybe got just a really light cardigan or something on and she's completely vulnerable and naked in this really um, industrialized aggressive environment with concrete everywhere and tanks and then there's this vulnerable fleshy body and there's this moment where a soldier comes to her and places a blanket around her Mm. and it's just such a powerful image of the humanity in that moment of recognizing that this is a person it's not just a body in space and so in this dressing there's this double reading of covering and caring for someone, but it could also be read as manipulating and transforming someone into something that you wish them to be. Um, but again, at the, at the end, uh, there is also this reading of pulling back layers of identity and removing clothing to show our similarities mm. and show, in the most simplistic way, we're all the same. We're all flesh and bone and above everything else, this is what we have in common. We are all bodies moving through space, um, communicating with the the same needs. And the best way to do that was to sort of strip away any kind of um, uniformity. Um, Well, it was was another way of coming back to uniformity in a way in terms of taking off the uniform, Mm. taking away the identity of these personalised clothings that we choose to wear, Um, and going back to this other uniformity, which is the naked body.
0: Mm. Yeah, Mm. I love this uh, kind of almost paradox between one way of being uniform is this machine-like behavior. And Mm. in this section uh, from a a short promo clip that I saw, uh, the dancers are wearing kind of muted skin color um, costumes uh, that are a bit like worker Mm -hmm. machine-like. And then they start changing into this more individual costumes where Mm -hmm. their personalities are coming out and then there is this you know a full loop that goes or or i'm I'm not sure what how the sections go but the nudity being that full loop which is again uniformity but a different kind of uniformity than this machine-like one yeah
1: and one that that brings us closer together and because you know when we talk about how we form these ideas of value for other people the reasons that we sort of uh torn apart is because all we see are differences and when we realize that there's commonalities that's when we come back together so to go oh yeah we're all just human beings we're all really vulnerable we're all just in our flesh suits trying to you know make our way from the beginning to the end of our life and um we we have all of this in common and that can help bring us together
0: Mm. And you said how at the beginning the work started as a solo, then it was a quartet and now there are five dancers. Mm -hmm. Uh, Why did you feel the need to add this fifth dancer, fifth element into the space? Um, And what does that change in in terms of how we perceive the work?
1: I really like odd numbers. (laughs) Um, I really like odd numbers in dance because um, often when it's an even number, we start to pair people in a really particular way. And something about always having an odd number, it changes the dynamic of the relationships in space for me. Um, and the it's, it's sort of a bit more fluid in a way in terms of how each person relates. Like the last year, last time we spoke, I was working with a trio. And then this time, yeah, after having – uh oh no sorry even in London it was a trio. I was there but I ended up not being in it. So it was a trio. Um yeah and then coming to the five. And I just think it we, we read we read groups differently depending on odd and even numbers.
0: Yeah. Mm. You're on Easthead Radio 89.7 FM, you're listening to Arts Monday Simpoesi streaming to you from the Getty Land of the Eora Nation. My name is Ira, and we are currently in conversation to choreographer Sarah Black, who is talking to us about contemporary dance work, Value for Money, which will soon be showing at Riverside Theatre's Paramata, presented by Form Dance Projects. Sarah, speaking about the dancers as collaborators in the piece uh, and we spoke a bit about the research process that went into the development and one part of this uh, research or development process was actually asking dancers to do the readings of many Mm -hmm. materials and uh, do a stream of consciousness writing or voice recording that was then used to create a text that is also part of the work. Can you speak to that uh, a little bit, this process?
1: yeah so we didn't we really wanted everybody to be like a a genuine collaboration so if that's the case then we can't just be doing all the reading and then coming into the room and expect everybody to be sort of at the same place as us so we uh paid everybody for their time to sit down and read everything we were reading um and of course if anybody found anything new they would bring it to the group and we would all share that information um but we, yeah, as I spoke, we didn't want to sort of speak on behalf of anybody. We wanted to speak from the people that were in the room and we spoke to all the cast how they would feel about sort of bringing their voice in and if they wanted to contribute ideas but not necessarily speak them um, on the stage, that was also something we brought up that either other people could speak their words or that the ideas could come in but it wasn't necessarily shared via text. Um, and so one of the ways we sort um thought to bring the ideas forward was through this sort of stream of consciousness, writing but also recording. Um, So in terms of reflection of what value meant to them, asking cast to either record or write and just not think but just blurt it all out onto the page or or onto the voice recording. And another one that we did was uh, we were talking about the way that we would invest um, our money into other people, and how we value them, looking at sort of celebrities and deities and how much of our own money we have put towards someone that we were um, obsessed with or in love with and the sort of monetary value that we've put into that obsession. And we asked people to do a stream of consciousness about that and about that relationship as well. And, yeah, a lot of that text has been fed into the work. And we wanted... We wanted text and it's always a tricky thing to try and balance movement and text, but we felt that it was really important because we wanted to be able to get to know them as people, not just the performers and bodies in space. So we wanted to hear their voices, whether it was through song or through words. Um, It was sort of another level of the um, peeling off the layers of the the real people in the stories. Um, Mm -hmm. So to have text come through felt really important. Mm
0: Now that you speak about peeling of the layers, uh, there is one scene in uh, the work, if it's still there, uh, I've seen it in this promo video, where uh, one of the dancers is speaking the text and peeling an orange while she does that. So is this kind of meant to be bringing to attention this idea of peeling of the layers of identity?
1: It is the oranges, but the oranges are a bit of a feature. They come back, and again, it's the symbolism and the multiple readings um, that come into the work. Uh, originally, the oranges started to make an appearance because there was an orange tree in the yard of where we were staying in mm-hmm. Alice Springs. It was orange season, so there were a lot of oranges around. Um, and but there's there's also something about, for me, uh, watching people eat um really bringing that that sense of humanity that we were talking about as well this need of food to go in and sustain you um and to see people eat in performance um i find it really interesting of that that this is a human again this is a human doing something that a human needs to do but we had multiple readings again with the oranges um in terms of how they are valued in the work. Um, so, yes, again, as you're saying, there's this peeling of the layers and it's sort of the relationship between the orange and the body and the skin and the flesh and the pulp and this inner um, flesh of the human body uh, and this outer, harder surface. But also, in terms of how the performers, throughout the work are treating and responding to the orange so there's the one the scene that you're talking about is this um sort of gentle peeling and slow eating and sort of savoring um and then by the end someone just absolutely devours it and Mm -hmm. tears it apart um so this different sense of how we value food and and um Depending on your experiences and what uh, you have access to and how that what that orange might mean to different people, and to some it's just yet another orange mm. and something to be consumed and thrown away. Um, yeah.
0: Mm. The work is about fifty minutes long, and you spoke about different sections. Do you have names for those sections or how does that work? Are there certain images that you want uh, dancers to carry within themselves, within each of those different sections? Yeah,
1: we do. Um, I'm just trying to go from the beginning for you. I mean, often they, sometimes they end up with strange names that don't mean anything, (laughs) but we will talk about the context. But yeah, uh, the naming of sections and dance is often quite an interesting one. Um, Of course, there's the obvious, you know, the opening solo, but then there is the unison, um, bodies as a landscape is the ending of the work. There's the women's trio. Um, there's the rapture, uh, which is about this sort of peaking of obsession um, and the, the body, the physicality of the body and how that uh, obsession really um arises within us and the sensations of being obsessed with a person sort of beyond just love and value in sort of uh, family sort of circle but that when it gets beyond that so yeah we looked quite a lot at um, celebrities and deities and that level of obsession
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and that so that scene became the rapture yeah.
0: Mm. And how are those uh, sections carried through music? Um, I assume that there is quite a difference between the sounds that appear in the work. And maybe you can speak a bit about your collaboration with composer Tom Snowdon, um, whom you started to collaborate with back in London, as far as I know. We did,
1: yeah. Well, we originally, uh, in London, we were sort of inspired by a lot of work that Tom had already made. I think he was working with Low Lakes at the time and just the yeah the the song the way that tom sings it's so powerful and it sort of is like yeah the voice of humanity in a way and we really were inspired it inspired the work so tom we used a lot of existing um, tracks and pulled them apart for us to use for that iteration but then we knew that coming forward we really wanted to collaborate Mm. And, uh, yeah, it was a really interesting process. We all definitely learnt a lot. And what was so special was because Tom is a musician and he plays with so many different instruments, um, he he set up in the space and would come in and listen to us talk but also watch us run sections and just play and play play to us creating, play to us running sections and see how what we were doing in the space would inspire him in the moment and just record everything as he was going and then come back to it and go, okay, well, I responded, you ran that bit and this is kind of what it created for me on this side, what do you think, and the sort of passing back and forth, um, which was amazing to have the sound in the room or we were making mm. often. Uh, you give an idea and composers and they may be working, but often it's in head with headphones in the space, but we had, um, yeah, Tom's sound just filling the room. Uh, so it was just like this back and forth of information constantly. Um, but we did come across some tricky moments as well, because Tom's sound is so powerful and it's really moving and, there were moments where it was it was it was difficult because I would often say like we don't want to we don't want to both be saying the same thing at the same time uh because it's too obvious um so finding ways that we could sort of both tell half the story and bring them together because there was a lot of the times with um I think we found that there's some really beautiful piano tracks I was going I just I don't see movement to this because all I want to do is close my eyes and listen to mm, it mm. and actually what the music is doing right now is telling the whole story mm-hmm. and it's really beautiful mm-hmm. and we almost for a live dance performance, it's telling too much and it's dictating too much. So we sort of come back and forth and look at ways that and Tom would sort of pull layers out and realising that because um, uh, Tom's world is sort of more of uh, a pop world I hope he's okay with me using that term (laughs) um in terms of songwriting you know writing songs the three three minute songs and so when in those moments sometimes it was actually yeah needing less less layers and pulling things out and stripping it bare a little bit for it to have space for the dance um yes it was a really interesting process of pulling all of that together and but one of the things that really really stayed were the vocals and Having having that human sound throughout the work, um, yeah, it's 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 really, it, uh, yeah, it, it is the essence of what value for money is to me. And so every time I hear hear that music, it's really powerful.
0: Mm. Well, I might take us out today with uh, one of the tracks from Tom Snowden. Uh, This one is called Empty Stars. I'm not sure if that's the the one that's part of the work in any way. It's from uh, his album Flood uh, Flood at the Heart. Beautiful. Um, So is that uh, in some way similar to what we will be hearing in the piece?
1: Definitely definitely the the essence of it and and in what what Tom brings with his vocals. Absolutely, You'll, you'll get a sense of of that
0: Mm. sarah thank you so much for being with us on east radio this morning um, and have a lovely rest of your day you too thanks so much for having me your Radio 89.7 FM. Uh, that was choreographer Sarah Black, and we were talking about the contemporary dance work she co choreographed with Jasmine Shepherd. The work is called Value for Money and will soon be showing at Riverside Theatres Parramatta, presented by Form Dance Projects. You can find out more through Riversideparamatta.com.au That is au. And as I just mentioned, uh, we will We'll have a short music break now here on Arts Monday Symposis, and we will listen to one of uh, the tracks from the composer of this dance piece. Uh, their name is Tom Snowdon, and the name of this piece is Empty Start. Is radio eighty nine point seven FM mm-hmm.